Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, April 28th, we're studying 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 14. St. Peter brings his first epistle to a close by encouraging us to remain firm in the faith, in the midst of the devil's prowling, and in the midst of the sufferings we experience as Christians. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Tim Eden. Pastor Eden serves at Bethel Lutheran Church in Bryan, Texas. Pastor Eden, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Thanks for having me again. As we get started this morning, let's talk a little context. We're at the very end of this epistle. The whole rest of the epistle stands before us. What do we need to remember going into this text here at the end? Uh, the biggest thing that comes to my mind is the the theme, uh, the thread almost that has been throughout First Peter, and that is that uh, context of of suffering. Um, clearly, uh, the Apostle Peter is writing to people who are dealing with sufferings of one kind or another, and uh, uh, it's a wonderful blessing that he speaks. Um, generally enough that uh, it's easy for us to include ourselves um, in uh, whatever suffering we may be experiencing. Um, and so then as we as we get to the final verses, um, his final exhortations, uh, you might say, uh, it's still with that same context of suffering as he touches on a few things and encourages us in a few ways um, and even provides some comfort uh, along with that. You were mentioning to me before we started recording that this was a, a book that you turned to in the opening days of the pandemic to use in devotions for your congregation. How did that go? I mean, just from your pastoral experience with the book, was it an appropriate book for that time? And, and what made it so? Because I'm guessing the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it was it was one of those things where... Um, uh, as I imagine for most of us pastors, when COVID hit, when pandemic hit, it was like, okay, ministry is different. What do we do? Um, and for me and my role here, um, a large part of what I do is visitation. And so that almost went to nothing, um, especially when when things were really locked down. And so I tried to think, okay, what can I do here to, to stay connected to people as much as possible? So I started doing a, a little daily video thing on, on Facebook. Um, uh, and and wanted to just walk through a chapter to put God's word on my mind regularly because I know I need I was needing this um, and and my people's minds and so for some reason First Peter came to my mind to do that so I just started at verse one uh, chapter one verse one and started walking through and one of the things that um, stood out to me or that prompted me to do First Peter. Um, was uh, this sort of exile idea. Um, although, you know, in our pandemic, we weren't exiled away from our homes, but sort of in exile in our homes. Um, that was the first connection point. But then, and this was purely God's leading, the whole theme of suffering and the various kinds of suffering that people have experienced throughout the pandemic was a wonderful theme for us to recognize and the recurring comfort that um, the Apostle Peter pro provides for us in the midst of that. So I was thankful for that experience. Um, I, I, I was able to 
it was mostly a one directional thing uh, for me to just sort of put that out there for people to receive. But uh, the people that did respond either with a comment on Facebook or an email to me um, was very uplifting to me in, in return uh, as far as the impact that that this had on them throughout that time. The theme of exile is, a, I mean, as you said, is, is a big one in First Peter. It's going to come back here at the end, I think, when we get this mention of the one who's at Babylon. I think that reminds us of that theme of exile coming up and certainly applicable to our lives as, as Christians in general, but particularly in the pandemic when we were very exiled from one another. And then, of course, the theme of, of suffering as well. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when you think about the things that Peter's talking about here and, and the endurance that, that he's going to talk about and the humility, suffering always in the background of that. And we, we shouldn't lose that context. Right right here at the very beginning of our text, we're going to hear Peter say, humble yourselves, which is, of course, the, the theme he just left off with in the previous text when he was talking about how pastors and people live together as a part of the church. You know, it's, it's with humility toward each other. And now he's really going to broaden that, not just humility to each other, but humility in our entire lives before God. So again, he's going to bring this this epistle to a, a marvelous conclusion here. Any more introductory comments before we get started? Um, uh, the only other thought as you were talking even is just that, um, again, it's easy for us, I believe, uh, to then consider our own suffering um, and what that may be. Um, it may not be because of exile. It may not be because of I know earlier in First Peter, he's you know he references some of the authorities that are over us, um, you know, just and unjust authorities, and sometimes we suffer uh, because of our, um, our our Christian name and our Christian walk. Um, whether we're suffering for those reasons or any others, um, again, I I believe and found as we walked through as I walked through this with our people that. Um, a lot of comfort here for uh, for people that are suffering for for any reason. We can we can sort of include ourselves, and so we ponder what uh, what what suffering may we be experiencing. Uh, we may struggle with why we're experiencing that suffering, uh, but regardless, what uh, what words of comfort and gospel does does the Lord have for us here? Yeah, and there's plenty of comfort here in this final text from First Peter. So we're reading again First Peter chapter five, beginning at verse six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love, Peace to all of you who are in Christ. That's our text for today, 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 14. Pastor Eden, as we were saying earlier, humility was the closing theme of our previous text, and Peter continues with that theme here. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Take us into those words from St. Peter. Uh, uh, it reminds me of Jesus' words uh, in Matthew 23. 
Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, we are called here to, uh, as you said in verse 5, to humble ourselves uh, or walk with humility toward others. Um, but uh, verse 6 is very pointed. Um, humble yourselves, therefore, in your relationship to God. And for me, this brings us back to um, who we are as creatures, and God is the creator. There is really only one truly uh, mighty one, the almighty. And uh, and if we recognize who we are correctly, uh, we are creatures under the creator. Uh, now, we also have a, a wonderful close relationship with our creator, but uh, we are not the ones in power. We are not the ones who are, are mighty. Um, he is the only one. And so uh, we are called to humble ourselves. And, and then I, I argue that if we don't, um, he will humble us at, at one time or another, whether we are uh, like that or not. <laughs> That's right. Well, and that was the, the quote at the end of verse five, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I think that that's from Proverbs, isn't it? That's my understanding. Yeah. Uh, from Proverbs chapter three, verse 34, um, seems to be, uh, either a, a direct reference or, or a clear quote there. Right. And so, I mean, he's, he's keeping that, that theme, you know, again, that's how we act in regard to each other and certainly how we ought to act before God. As you were saying, you know, he is our creator. We are the creatures. That's how chapter four ended. Chapter four, 19, Peter was, was saying, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter's, Peter's had that in the context of God's being the creator and, and giving us comfort. And again, I think humility here in the, in the face of God, how easy it would be for us when we are suffering to be angry at God, to, to think, what, what are you doing, Lord? Why are you doing this to me? And, and I mean, I get, I think that's at least part of what's going on here with Peter's talking about humbling yourselves before God, let him be the creator and, and do as he, as he wills and you be the creature and receive it from his hand as, as a faithful a faithful Christian. Yeah, uh, exactly. Again, whatever that source of suffering may be, uh, whether it may be for um, us as, as Christians or not, whether it may just be because, I mean, as Jesus tells us, there will be, uh, he uses the word tribulation in this world. Um, uh, uh, when we live in a, a broken and fallen world, there's going to be suffering of one kind or another for one reason or another. Um, ultimately, um, our, our God, our almighty God is allowing us to, uh, and suffer um, uh, in those ways. Um, but when we recognize our relationship to him as the creature, uh, then we also see in the rest of that verse, verse six, the second half, that he also is the one who has the power, the ability, um, and I would even say the will to exalt us. Um, but at the proper time. Uh, and this brings to mind another challenging point for us, and that is timing, uh, God's timing uh, uh, compared to our timing. Mm. Elaborate on that a little bit. Why is that challenging? And how does how does God bring us his word to comfort us in the midst of that? Uh, we, we often, uh, myself included here, <laughs> uh, we often have a, a certain uh way that we think things should go or um, a, a certain timeline for things to transpire. Uh, and and whether we learn this from experience or, or from God's word teaching us, that rarely is the case. Um, 
again, because we are simply creatures. We only see what we can see. We only have the the purview of what is around us. Uh, whereas God, the the mighty one, the almighty and, and the creator, uh, he has um, the, the perspective that is way beyond ours. Uh, I'm reminded of um, uh, his thoughts are, are beyond our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. Um, and, and while this can be challenging, again, especially in the midst of suffering, I, I don't want to minimize by any means the suffering that someone is enduring for any reason. Um, uh, it is, as it's as the word says, suffering. It, it's not easy. Um, but uh, when we think, okay, this should this should be ending, or or I'm frustrated, as you said, uh, angry at God about this happening. Um, uh, it's easy for us to lose sight that um, while he's allowing this to happen, this is not his his end purpose, his end goal. Um, instead, um, uh, just as he exalted Jesus, uh, I'm reminded also of, of Philippians uh, chapter two, where where Jesus, I, I'm going to paraphrase here, but you know, Jesus humbled himself by taking the form of a servant, um, and then was exalted to the right hand of of God the Father. Uh, and and many a theologian before me has said that we walk that same path with Christ, um, that uh, we are humbled and then uh, exalted with Him. Um, and so again, we are encouraged to humble ourselves uh, rather than endure God's humbling. Is is maybe one way of saying it. Uh, so that the Father, uh, which is truly his desire, is to exalt us um, with uh, with his Son at the proper time. Just as Christ was raised at the proper time, um, uh, we will be exalted at the proper time, whether that's an earthly exaltation in a sense or an eternal one. And that's another point we can touch on in a second. Well, I think Peter was one of those theologians who, who, t- who touched on that before you and I did about walking in Christ's steps. <laughs> you know, I mean, Peter's even he's used that language earlier when he's talking about, you know, Christ suffered. And one of the reasons he suffered was to set an example for us that we would walk in those steps. And I, I think I think the language that Peter uses here invites us to to consider Christ as that example, and of course not only example, but primarily as the one who suffered for us in our place. Yep. But that word, you know, at the proper time. I mean, this is a word that that Paul picks up on in Galatians chapter four is the one that always comes to my mind, where you know, at the right time, God sent His Son to be born of the woman and born under law to redeem us who were under the law, so that we would receive the adoption as sons. So this this idea of of God's timing really connects us back to the life of our Lord Jesus Christ and the way that at that right time, God did everything necessary for our salvation so that we can continue to trust him as our father, as our creator in, in the way that, that he allows us to suffer as Peter will say later in this text for a little while so that, yeah, and, that, and then oh, I think that takes us into the next point you were bringing up. Well, and I was going to jump to verse 10 as well, um, briefly at least, because I think it's it's sort of a bookend here uh, uh, to this idea, at least, that we're talking about. You know, after you have suffered a little while, verse 10, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ uh, will himself, himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Um, uh, he will, in Christ, um, exalt us, um, uh, but... Uh, this this may happen um, here on this earth. Our suffering may be for a time here on this earth, uh, and then we will be, you know, restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established in in an earthly sense. So whether that's someone dealing with um, uh, physical pain and suffering, cancer, or or anything else like that, you know, 
there are many a time where God brings healing here and now uh, on this earth in this time. Um, uh, but there are some times, even using that same example of suffering, uh, where in this earthly life, that seems to be the end for that person. Uh, their, their life ends in in suffering and pain. Um, but that doesn't mean that that God has forsaken his promise to exalt that person because in Christ, we have a much greater and eternal promise, the eternal glory in Christ that we will see when Christ returns. Uh, and, and that pain, that suffering uh, will certainly be done away with and we experience uh, a resurrected body um, and eternal joy uh, with him in his presence. That, those words a little while there in verse 10, you know, go all the way back to the very beginning of Peter's epistle where he talked about you know, suffering trials right now for a little while. And, and not to, again, not to minimize the suffering we experience as Christians in this life, which may seem to be very long, but it is always a, a comfort, I think, when the apostles do this in the New Testament, because Paul does the same thing. And even Jesus talks this way in the Gospels about how the disciples will have sorrow for a little while, but then yeah. they'll see him again. That you know, the, the scriptures remind us of God's eternal perspective, that the suffering that we endure as Christians right now it's difficult. They are trials, but it is for a little while when we compare it to that. I think this is the way Paul talks, you know, an eternal weight of glory that's ours in Christ. And it's such a, you know, in the midst of that suffering, not to minimize it, but to strengthen us to endure under it. I think that eternal perspective is just so helpful. It is. It is. And and this is where, uh, I mean, we see throughout the scriptures, the the wonderful gospel promises that God gives us, the the promise of of that future, um, and that's why I jumped to verse ten because I think for our hearers today, for anybody reading First Peter, you know, when we when we talk about whatever suffering or whatever degree of suffering we we are dealing with. We need to hear that that gospel. We need to hear the good news that we have in Jesus Christ, uh, the comfort that um, God is gracious uh, and and that this suffering will be just for a little while, as you've said. Uh, that promise that the gospel is what we then rest on, uh, what we what we stand upon, what we uh, rest in, even in a sense. Um, yet also, uh, I, I want to bring us back to verse seven, then there's also an exhortation. So the gospel is our foundation, but there's also even a, a, a word of encouragement, uh, something, you know, what do we do during this little while? What do we do in the meantime? Because that's sometimes I know what people can wrestle with as well. So take us then into verse seven, the, the text continues at the proper time. He may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. What's, what's Peter doing as he moves into the verse seven? Uh, beautiful words there. I think we often use um, in, I know I've used this countless times in as a reading for people that are dealing with something when I go and visit them, whether it's hospital, longstanding, um, you know, what are we to do during this time of waiting during this, this, as we talked earlier about the timing of God and our patience or maybe impatience, well, we can cast our anxieties on him. Uh, a, a wonderful gift that God has given to us, uh, this gift of prayer, that we can speak to God our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ um, about anything, uh, at any time, um, especially when it's it's taking this form of anxieties. Um, why can we do this? Because one, he's invited us to uh, in the Gospels, um, uh, even the command to, to pray. Um, but also uh, inserted here is, is again, that comfort 
that we can cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. Uh, God, our, our, our creator, the, the mighty one, is not a distant God, um, but he is a, a close God. He is a caring God, as we say often, just sort of without even thinking about it. He is our heavenly father. Um, uh, just this past weekend, we were talking about how we have been adopted as his children. We are his children now, First John. And... Uh, and so he cares for us. He cares about the things that we are dealing with. Just because we're enduring suffering doesn't mean God doesn't care. Um, uh, but instead, uh, we are reminded here that he does care. And so we can speak to him about uh, the, the tangible things that are going on, the actual literal suffering that we're enduring. Uh, we can talk with him about uh, the anger. Uh, we can express that to him as, as the psalmists do so often. Uh, we can we can talk with him about the timing and and our patience and our perseverance and, and anything else. Again, we can cast on him because he desires to hear those things and he cares. Mm. That's such a wonderful little phrase there. Just, just he cares for you. I mean, it, it's so, so simple. But to know that God cares for me in the midst of the suffering and, and particularly the suffering that I'm enduring as a Christian, which is, you know, Peter's really hammered that home at the end of chapter four about, you know, what does it mean to suffer as a Christian, to be mocked for the sake of bearing Christ's name and and how easy it might be to think in a, in the midst of, you know, I'm being attacked precisely because I'm a Christian that, well, God must not care for me. Well, no, he does. He does care for you. And he's He's shown it to you conclusively in his son, Jesus Christ, and everything he's done. And just that, that's such a, a simple phrase, he cares for you. And yet there's so much packed into it there. Even when, you know, when you're humbling yourself under his mighty hand, or as, as you said, when he's humbling you, he still cares for you. He's your, I mean, and you use the language of father. He's your loving father who wants to to hear from you, who who disciplines you, yes, but in, because he loves you, because he cares for you. And and in that is the invitation to to come to him. Before I, before I forget, just kind of in these two verses, and I, I think this applies, I, I see another example of Peter reflecting on his own life and, and particularly in the gospels. I mean, when, when he talks about humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and you think about Peter in the Gospels, humility is not usually the word that comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, I think, you know, particularly here, as you were talking about ex- where, where if you don't humble yourself, God will. I'm, I'm reminded of that encounter that, Je- that Jesus and Peter have on Monday, Thursday, where Jesus tells the disciples, you know, you're all going to f- fall away tonight. And Peter says, if I have to die with you, I'm, I'm not going to deny you. And Jesus says, well, you're actually going to deny me three times. And then, of course, he does. But yeah. then, I mean, at the end of John, you know, Jesus restores Peter. And I think in that way, I mean, I think Peter, he really stands as example number one of everything that he's saying right here, of, of what it means to humble yourself and then to let the Lord restore you as the one who cares for you. I mean, I think it, it, when you look at Peter's life, particularly those events on on Monday, Thursday, and then after our Lord's resurrection, you just see this in flesh and blood. Yeah, excellent. Very well said. I, I agree with you completely, and uh, especially as you bring in the the Peter's own 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 narrative um, as well. I hadn't thought of that, and that's a an excellent an excellent point. And 
the simplicity, but the depth of, of those words, he cares for you. Well said. Yeah. Well, and then, and then of course, what do you do then? You, you cast your anxieties on him because he, he cares for you. As you said, this is, this is something that I think is, is very helpful for any Christian uh, under any circumstance to cast your anxieties on him. He, because he, because he cares for you and because he can do something about it. And I think that's, you know, I, that was another thing I wanted to bring out and maybe you could say a little bit more. There, it seems like maybe there's a bit of a contrast, but they go hand in hand. In verse six, you know, Peter talks about the mighty hand of God. What does he use that mighty hand to do? He uses it to care for you here in verse seven. It's, a, it's such a wonderful thing. Yeah, yeah, great thought. Um, uh, it is the mighty hand of God that that raised Christ on the third day. Um, what else uh, is he not able to do? Uh, you know, is, is maybe one way of putting it. Um, uh, whatever is going on in your life, whatever suffering you're enduring, whatever challenge you're experiencing, um, God is fully able uh, to uh, to to bring healing, to to relieve the suffering, the pain. Um, uh, he is the the one who is able to to change your circumstances. Uh, and again, this often then causes us as his creatures, as his children, to wrestle with the 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 un the unanswerable questions. Well, why has God not done A, B, or C for me? Um, uh, or why has God allowed you know E? and and d for me um but he that's a part of why we cast our anxieties on him it's one thing i'll I'll contrast it with this it's one thing for us to talk to um, a a brother or sister in christ a a great thing for us to do um it's one thing for us to to go to a pastor and and um uh, talk about our situation and ask for prayer and, and and consolation a wonderful thing to do um we can vent till the cows come home but God is the only one who is actually able to to change our circumstances and bring us from our low estate to an exalted place uh, in Christ. And so uh, while we are surely encouraged to do these other things, to bear one another's burdens, um, uh, that's all in the context of of prayer uh, and conversation with God um, himself uh, as well. Uh, and I think this even again to the to the bookend in verse ten and eleven, uh, to him be the dominion forever and ever, Amen. He is the one. Um, he is the only one who has dominion over the whole earth and and, and all things, um, and that's a comforting thing for us because we're we're on his side. We're we're in his family. Uh, he is the powerful one that, as we know through his promises and and through Christ's own resurrection, uh, he will um, exalt us. He will bring us out of that suffering, either here on this earth or uh, when Christ returns. And so cast all your cares on him. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO, talking First Peter chapter 5 with Pastor Tim Eden. Take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. 
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, April 28th. We're studying 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 14. We've got Pastor Tim Eden with us. He serves at Bethel Lutheran Church in Bryan, Texas. Pastor Eden, prior to the break, we were talking about verses 6 and 7, how God calls us to humble ourselves under his mighty hand. We humble ourselves so that he can be the one to exalt us, and we know that he will because he's the one that cares for us. That mighty hand of his is what he uses to exalt us and to take care of us so that we can cast our anxieties on him. What a wonderful gift that is. Peter continues with words that he's spoken before, warnings, calls for watchfulness. So he says in verse eight, be sober minded, be watchful. We've heard him talk like this before that the Christian life needs to be like this. What, what is he saying with these commands to us? Um, well, the, the, the sober minded part, uh, is interesting because the the Greek there, uh, if I remember correctly, is simply sober um, in the sense of like drinking. But um, but I think it's appropriate how it's translated here. I, I don't want to dismiss the translation by any means, uh, especially in this context. Uh, be, but it, but it ties in with the the watchfulness. Um, now, what the the watchfulness is referring to, um, I, I've. I have two thoughts and, and maybe it's actually a, a dual meaning. Um, one thought is that uh, watchful of sort of the next phrase that he's about to say, watchful of the adversary. Um, it's sort of a watch out uh, type idea. Um, yet another one that I came across is watchful for Christ's return, um, which also seems to be appropriate uh, as we've touched on already, jumping ahead to verse 10 and 11 a little bit. So um, I wonder if there's a dual meaning there um, uh, and we can uh, approach those um Maybe, maybe whichever order comes to your mind. <laughs> well, I think so. Just on that word, you know, be watchful. I think, I think you're right that there may be two things going on there. It's the same, the same word that Jesus uses in in what is often called his eschatological discourse, his end times discourse in the Gospels. And we just came out of Mark here on sharper iron, so I've got Mark 13 on my brain more than more than the other Gospels. And toward the end of that, where Jesus is talking about his his return, he uses this same Greek word, this stay awake or be watchful. I mean, that's a, that's a key term. The, the reason I, I remember it well is because it, we get the English name Gregory from this Greek word, actually. So it's, you know, stay awake, be watchful. So I think that, I think there may be a little bit of, of both going on there of, you know, be watchful for Christ's second coming. Peter's had that on his mind in these closing chapters of this epistle, he's really made that shift to pointing his readers toward the second coming of Christ. But I think you're also right to connect it to what, what Peter says in the very next phrase about the devil prowling around, because I mean, that's why is it that we need to stay awake for Jesus return? Well, it's, it is to watch for his coming to be ready. And so also then to watch out for that, which would attack us and lull us to sleep to, to keep that same image in terms of the, the sober mindedness, just so we don't leave that too, too quickly. I think it is it is something that you know it is just the word for stay sober which certainly is uh, the way I've heard it said is it's more than not being drunk but it's not yeah. less than that either you you can't really be sober minded if you aren't actually sober I mean so I think you know we shouldn't lose sight of that either 
Yeah, uh, even recalling First Peter 1, as you mentioned, this word was used earlier in, in verse 13, therefore preparing your minds for action and uh, being sober-minded. That's the, the translation there. It, it, it explicitly you know, references the mind. So again, the translation is very appropriate, um, but, but I appreciate how you said it, that um, uh, it entails more of our being for our, for our minds, you, you might say for our hearts to be uh, sober and, 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 and clear, uh, able, able to think and act um, uh, and be watchful to tie it again to that word in, in a clear sense with, with that clarity. Right. And, and I love that back to, to 113 was on my mind as well, because the, the image there as well, the, with girding the loins of your minds is how, I mean, so, you know, it's just be this idea of being ready, being sober minded. This has been a theme for Peter all along. And he's really, you know, drawing some of that together here as particularly he mentions the enemy that attacks us. He says, your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Take us into the the image that Peter uses here with this roaring lion. Yeah. Uh, I think again, with the watchfulness, um, as we watch for Christ uh, and his return, it's not a watching of sitting and twiddling my thumbs and, and waiting for Christ, you know, looking up to the sky constantly. Um, I think of uh, even the, uh, I'm going slightly off track here. Sorry, but I think again of the of the apostles at at the ascension. Yes, uh, that's right. Uh, you know what? What are you waiting for? Stop looking up into the sky. <laughs> go, go do what he said. Um, uh, is my poor prayer, paraphrase. But um, here, the the watchfulness includes watchfulness of of the adversary because uh, Satan is certainly around. He is he is working um, either directly to to to, to tempt us into sin. Um, he's working through other means, um, as we kind of see the, the, the metaphorical and, and imagery language in revelation, um, uh, you know, various ways that the devil works, but ultimately his working is always to, to thwart God's work. He, he's working against, uh, what, what God, uh, is doing and, and desires to do. Now, again, I want to reassure our, our listeners that uh, Satan is not equal competition for God. Um, uh, uh, the mighty hand of God has already been reminded to us that he is the creator. He is the mighty one. Um, however, God has allowed the devil, Satan, to the adversary to to have some power for some time um, here here in this earth. And so the, the the image there, as you referenced, you know, prowling around like a roaring lion, roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan knows he cannot completely thwart what God has done. Christ has already won the victory, uh, as Jesus said um, uh, at His death on the cross. It is finished. Uh, he proves that in His resurrection. Uh, the victory is His um, over Satan, over death, o- over sin. But Satan is trying to take people down with him is maybe the, w- the way it comes to my mind here, especially using this image uh, that the, the roaring lion is trying to devour someone and, and bring someone down with him. Right. And that's a helpful reminder to keep this in context. We've got the mighty hand of God and his eternal dominion coming up again in verse 11. So this isn't a battle between two equals, but we would be we would be very mistaken if we were to minimize the power that Satan has, thinking about the way that Jesus does speak in the Gospels, he he calls 
Satan, the the strong man. You know, he uses that image of, of someone coming in to rob the strong man. What do you have to have? You have to have a stronger man to come in and bind him first. And Jesus is the stronger man who has done that already. Satan has been defeated, but he still does prowl around as one who is very very strong. Luther, in his hymn, A Mighty Fortress, call, says at the end of the first Antia, on earth is not his equal. So, and, and then he says, with might of ours cannot be done. So this is not a battle you and I can win on our own. So we would, we would be very mistaken to underestimate Satan's abilities or to overestimate our abilities to stand against him. So, I mean, this is a this is an important text. How is it that Satan does this? What are what are his tactics? What's he up to in roaring like a lion trying to devour people? Well, I think especially remembering one of the main things that the Apostle Peter has been talking about here is in the midst of suffering. What is Satan going to try to do to us when we're enduring sufferings of of one kind or another? Um, I think one of the things that comes to my mind is uh, causing us to despair in our suffering, Uh, uh, somehow uh, taking our our minds off of God's word and, and the promises that God has for us, as we've already touched on here, suffering for just a little while. Um, uh, God's care for us, and, and and just as Satan did in the garden with Adam and Eve, he 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 takes God's word and twists it, or or sometimes just tries, I think, to remove it all altogether from from our proximity. Uh, because ultimately, if if we if we take our eyes and and heart and mind off of God, uh, His promises, His word. Uh, that's when when Satan quote unquote wins, uh, at least for for us as an individual. He he causes us to despair in our suffering, um, uh, especially with with that context uh, of suffering. I think you know other ways uh, that that Satan works is is the temptation to sin, um, uh, uh, and and this is where this passage often gets used in a much broader. Uh, a much broader reach, you know, much broader application, but I think appropriately so, um, as as Satan, whether we're in the midst of suffering or not, uh, Satan is constantly working ar- around us to to try to devour us, and so sometimes I think that is in in putting uh, temptations to sin in our path, um, uh, to to try to again bring us down or or even cause us to sin, bring us into regular or habitual sin. Um, uh, I think another thing that comes to my mind is, uh, Satan's sort of, I've heard it called kind of a divide and conquer, um, approach, um, you know, separating believers from one another, uh, or causing division, uh, between, between brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, when something happens that, uh, that, uh, isn't necessarily caused directly by Satan, but then he inserts himself to, to make what wasn't a problem, more of a problem um, uh, between others. Mm-hmm. And, and in the end, ultimately, I, 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 my understanding is that all of these things, that his goal is to lead us to unbelief, yeah. uh, to, to, to work uh, such difficulty, trials, sin, whatever it may be uh, in us that, that ultimately pull us completely away from our relationship with God um, to a place of unbelief. Yeah. I mean, I'm reminded of the way, and Luther speaks in the small catechism regarding the sixth petition of the Lord's prayer, lead us not into temptation. And when he gives the meaning of that petition, this has always struck me as perhaps the opposite of the way that we normally think of the devil's attacks, 
but it's perfectly in line with the way that you just explained them. Luther says this, we pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. I think when when we think about the way the devil works and what he's up to, we often start with the other great shame and vice. The devil wants me to sin. And mm-hmm. and fair enough, he does, as you just said. But his ultimate goal is that false belief and despair. That's that's where he would that's his second move. After he gets you to sin, if that's his first move, then his second move and his the one that he really is after is to move you from that into despair and false belief. And I, I think too, as, as you're saying in first Peter, given his full context of suffering, that's that's the biggest thing that the devil's up to here is he wants you to forget that God cares for you. He wants you to forget that God's mighty hand will exalt you at the proper time. And he wants you to draw, he wants to draw you away from that true belief into a false belief about God and then lead you into despair. I mean, I really think that that's, I think you're exactly right. That's, that's what's going on there. The, the image of a lion is a very powerful one, a very potent one. Jesus calls the devil a murderer. I think that's in John's gospel. And, uh, and he, what, what stands out to me here, and you can tell me what you think of this. I think, and of course, you know, the apostle can use whatever image he wants to as one who is inspired by the Holy Spirit as he writes. But I, I wonder maybe two things. One, he's been talking about Jesus as the chief shepherd and pastors as under shepherds and, and the attacks of a lion against sheep. It, it fits that image. The other thought, and, and I'm not sure about this, I guess it kind of depends on how you how you would date this particular epistle and, and who's you know who's the emperor in Rome. But if it if if Nero is the emperor while Peter writes this and Peter is is perhaps in prison and we're, we're near the beginning of some of the the very violent persecutions against Christians, I wonder if the image of the lion prowling around strikes images of martyrdom in the into the, you know if that puts that mind in in Christians. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe later Christians. I, it's hard to know again without having a firm date for the epistle. But I I wonder if there's maybe if maybe that's going on in Peter's mind at all that that there's a call here to be firm in the face of even martyrdom. Yeah. 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 Um, wonderful thoughts. And, and I don't have a lot to add. Um, I'll just have to ponder those myself. Uh, um, some of those, those musings and, and wonderings, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think, um, the, I mean, I mean the martyrdom idea, I think, uh, regardless of if it's, if there's the historical context there with this or not, um, seems to fit with, uh, the whole of first Peter. So, so I, I agree with you fully there. So he continues then in verse nine, and this has always struck me too. You know, he's, he's just painted this picture of the devil as a roaring lion. And then what are you going to do? Well, resist him firm in your faith. You know, it's like, just, just resist him. That's, that's that. I mean, but, but I think that the key is the firm in your faith that, that this is not a victory that you or I win, but it is the victory that Christ has won and, and in which we stand. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it does seem sort of almost flippant there by by the Apostle Peter um, uh, as some simple task. But I agree, the emphasis on um, our, our faith and the object of our faith, uh, Christ, his work. Um, uh, again, the context being uh, in these specific verses, the, the mighty hand of God who who can and will provide for us. Um, uh, and... I had another thought and it just escaped me. So you'll have to pardon me. <laughs> no, it's okay. So let's, I mean, I think the rest of the verse really plays into some of the things we've talked about because as Peter said, you know, resist him firm in your faith, particularly object of your faith, as you said. And then he adds this, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You, you mentioned this earlier as we were talking about, you know, casting our anxieties on God. Ultimately, he's the one who, who bears those anxieties, who cares for us but we don't do it alone. And, and I mean, so I think, you know, you've got that, that dual comfort that you've got God as the one who cares for your anxieties. And he has given you to be a part of his church who is also suffering with you and who also, you know, bears you up under these burdens that you have. And, you know, as you were talking earlier about, you know, you, you go to a fellow Christian and they pray with you, or you go to your pastor and he prays with you. That That's kind of the point is that you, you go to that Christian, not because, the Christian has any particular might, but so that together you would both go and take your anxieties and needs to God. So there's a great comfort here to, you know, we're not alone in the suffering. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny, you know, we, we use that phrase, uh, you know, misery loves company. Um, there, there seems to be a little bit of truth to that, uh, not just resting in our misery. Um, but, uh, as, as you said, you know, where we direct that, uh, casting our anxieties on God, but to know that we're not in the boat alone, um, in and of itself, that has some level of, Oh, okay. Okay. I'm, I'm not the only one dealing with this, uh, that, that it, it shifts our perspective. I think sometimes just to hear those words in, in verse nine, um, uh, it, it takes us, maybe this is what it does for us. It, I think it takes us out of our potential for, for self-centeredness. Um, uh, uh, you know, Luther's com- uh, language about, you know, curved in on ourselves. Um, when we hear that, other people are suffering just like we are. It 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 takes our eyes or or picks our head up a little bit, and we say, "Oh, it's it's not just me dealing with this with dealing with this." You know, it takes us away from the "woe is me" idea. Um, now, hopefully, it doesn't stay there again, because just for me to be suffering and you to be suffering, well, that that doesn't really give us much hope. But at least it takes us away from from the the real deep despair of I'm 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 the only one suffering these things. And it brings us out a little bit to know that you are as well. And then together, bearing one another's burdens um, uh, and pointed again by God's word to to Christ and his promises, uh, there we are brought, um, you know, in a fuller sense out of out of out of our depths, you might mm-hmm. say. Well, and I think, you know, suffering then together as the church also reminds us of what Peter said in the previous chapter about you know rejoicing when we and the way he phrases you know you when you share in Christ's sufferings or when you fellowship in Christ's sufferings so that mm-hmm. you know I suffer as an individual Christian and so do you but we do so together as the body of Christ with Christ himself and and again I mean you know that there's the comfort there's the joy in the midst of the suffering is to know that 
I'm not alone, not only in the sense of, you know, the entire church, but with the church's head, Jesus Christ, he's the one who's suffered with me and he suffered for me. And, and then I think that really ties into the way Peter, you know, makes conclusion here of this little section into this doxology. And we've talked about this a little bit, you know, this suffering that we have like Christ's is a little while. And it is through that suffering, through the, the cross of Christ that God brought him into eternal glory, into resurrection, and that's where we're headed as well. And I mean, I think, so, you know, knowing all of that and having that faith gives us comfort to to endure in the midst of this suffering that we have in this life right now. Yeah, yeah, great point uh, that, that again, it's not just our suffering, but sharing in Christ. That's, a, that's an excellent uh, point and, and reminder for us. Uh, Christ has suffered, um, uh, the, I, I think of uh, more in the, the temptation language, but you know, the, he 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 knows what we have been through. He himself uh, has been tempted in every way, like us. Um, a slightly different language than the suffering language, but I think a a, a parallel can be made there. Um, uh, that yes, Christ has has suffered. He he knows. Well, to use my language earlier, he's in the boat with us too, right. <laughs> uh, or maybe we're in his boat is a better way of saying it, but. Uh, regardless, um, he has suffered, but, uh, that wasn't the end and it's not the end for us either. Um, uh, in him, uh, suffering leads to exaltation, uh, to use the, the language in verse six, um, because of Christ's, um, resurrection and, and exaltation. Uh, that's the promise for us too. After a little while, uh, the, the timing we wrestle with, but, um, uh, we can resist the devil. We can stand firm in our faith knowing that uh, this is not the end, but but the end is, is much better uh, for what God has in store for us. Yeah, and, and as Peter concludes this little section again in verse 10, and he says, you know, that, that God will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, establish you. You get those four verbs, one after the other, boom, boom, boom. I'm reminded of the way he started this epistle about how, how grace and peace will be multiplied to you, that, that God just, he gives his gifts overabundantly in, in this life and in the next to sustain us. we got about five minutes here, Pastor Eden. I want to make sure we at least touch on these final verses, which are, on the one hand, when you've read the epistles in the New Testament, you kind of get the hang of it. On the one hand, the, the stuff that comes at the end, these final greetings, seem pretty standard. But if we go over them too quickly, we'll miss some stuff. So mm-hmm. there's a couple of names here that we should touch on. You've got Sylvanus. You've got Mark. Those are the two people that are specifically named. And then also a little more cryptic sounding, she who is at Babylon. These are all included in the greetings. Just tell us a little bit about these three and and what we make of them. Uh, To my understanding, and you can correct me if you know something better, Sylvanus, um, also another way of saying that is is Silas, or that's another uh, uh, name for Silas. So um, I think of Paul and Silas, the missionary journeys, and and that would be my assumption that this is who's being referred to here. Um, uh, Mark, uh, John Mark, uh, the the close companion of uh, uh, Peter, to our understanding, Um, one who also worked with the Apostle Paul, but uh, uh, it seems to be from here and and, uh, maybe there's other uh, tradition uh, that speaks to, again, the close connection of of Peter and, and Mark. 
she who is at Babylon um, seems to be a reference to uh, the church. Again, she often using language uh, when we talk about the church, the gathering of the church uh, being uh, it, it's it's phrased in, in the feminine. Um, and so she who is at Babylon seems to be referring to Christians or the church in, in Rome, uh, that place of in Peter's day, sort of exile, going back to the beginning of his letter, um, when we think of the Israelites being exiled to Babylon, um, uh, the current day Babylon for, uh, for the Apostle Peter, uh, we think is, is Rome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that that's, fits in with everything that I've read about these three here, Silvanus, Silas. And it looks like Silas is either serving as Peter's secretary, perhaps being the one who writes down what Peter dictates, or the messenger, the one who delivers the letter, or perhaps both. Mark, as you said, likely the the gospel writer, the one who wrote, the the one that bears his name, and then Babylon, probably not the city of Babylon as, as we know it, but the the city of Rome, and again, playing into that theme of exile. This is all included here in Peter's final greetings. And then he he closes with, greet one another with the kiss of love, peace to all of you who are in Christ. We've got about two and a half minutes here, Pastor Eden. Give us that last verse, wrap things up for us this morning. Well, um, two notes. One is, um, as he mentions these names and, and also the church in Rome, uh, again, with verse 9, we're not suffering alone. So as, as the apostle Peter here, uh, as the hearers, excuse me, of, of Peter's letter, you know, hear um, of these, these specific people, you know, it puts some names and places onto, Oh, okay. They're, they are experiencing suffering as well. Um, and, and so that, I think that adds again to this. I, I'm not alone in this idea. And the wonderful verse, you know, that concludes all of this peace to all of you who are in Christ. Um, where does our peace ultimately come from? Uh, it doesn't come from even relief from suffering. That's not our peace. Um, uh, our peace isn't, um, uh, in something earthly or temporal, our peace is in Christ. Um, he is the one who suffered, as you said earlier, for us um, and suffers with us. Um, and it is in him that we have uh, the victory over Satan, uh, the victory over death. Um, it is in him that ultimately we have uh, eternal glory um, in his presence when he comes again. And so it is in him that we have peace, even in the midst of our sufferings uh, here today. Pastor Tim Eden serves at Bethel Lutheran Church in Bryan, Texas, helping us this morning with 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 to 14. Pastor Eden, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions for us about 1 Peter or the coming epistles in this series, 2 Peter and Jude, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.